Well, good morning again. Can we do it again? He is risen. He is risen. Oh, man. It is good to see all of you guys. I am so excited to bring the message, the word this morning. Um, it doesn't get any better than this. I know I'm ooh, getting some feedback. Um, quoting uh, one of my favorite coaches for the 49ers, right? Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody. Oh, good. See, some of the faithfuls know what I'm talking about. Um, but this is the truth. I just, that's the perspective that God has given me since uh, a young boy growing up in this church is that I just see life and I see it half full. I can go through life and see things that are hard and difficult, but man, I just, I see the joy of the Lord. And for me, uh, we had a great Good Friday service where we remembered, we reflected on um, the dark and heaviness of Friday when Jesus died. But for me, I, it's been bottling up for the last couple of days. And so if you see me a little more excited than normal, it's because that's who God's created me to be. I like being amped up. I like being excited. So um, man, all Friday, I was like, okay, I'm trying to stay somber and remember and reflect, but I just like, but Sundays are coming. Sundays are coming. And so that's just my perspective on life, and I pray that it continues to affect you. Uh, I know that not all of us are, have the same bent and personality, but the culture of Osmeyberg Church is to be spirited, to be filled with the Spirit, to be full of joy and life. And man, today is a day of life. And so um, I just speak that over our service, that you guys are going to be alive. Um, how many of you are alive? Yeah, person next to you. Good, you guys. Oh, so let's ask some more questions. How many of you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? All right. How many of you believe in miracles? You should be raising your hand. How many believe God still does miracles? Amen. That's the title of this morning's message. Three miracles of Easter. We're going to look at the Easter story. If you want to look in your Bible, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28. Um, it's the story of Easter. You can get in all the Gospels, but we're looking at Matthew. Um, there's Bibles in front of you. There's apps you can open up or... You can always use the sides I'll have behind me. That'll make it easy on you. But if you just want to make sure that I'm reading God's word and it's not just something I typed up on a slide, you can keep me accountable. I'm going to read from my old faithful printed text, not just a digital version. Um, but we're going to read from Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. And we're going to look at three miracles that took place at Easter. As we kind of look through these verses, I'm going to set them aside and we'll stop and look at the first miracle that I'm highlighting, the second and the third. Um, but before we do, I know we just prayed. My wife said a beautiful prayer. If you didn't see, there was even some tears coming down her eyes. Just she could feel the presence of God. I am praying. Um, that was my prayer early this morning is that um, Jesus did miracles. That you read the Gospels. Jesus, he opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. And I'm just praying that he does the same thing to me again this morning, to all of us. That areas in my life where I am blind and I don't see the truth the way he sees it, I'm praying that Jesus performs a miracle and opens my eyes. I'm praying that where I've been deaf or hard-hearted, that Jesus would do a miracle and open my ears to understand his kingdom principles. There's so many things that I know that are true in this world, but his truth is a better truth. His word trumps any other thing I've ever heard in my life. And so I just want God's word to go forth and to do that. And so would you pray with me that Jesus would do another miracle today? Today's Easter Resurrection Sunday. He's a God of miracles. Let's pray that he does that again this morning, that each one of us hear something fresh for ourselves. Amen? So pray with me one more time. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have declared it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. So Jesus, would that be true in my life today for each one of us? Would you pierce our hearts with truth? You are the truth. You are the way. You are the life, Jesus. So would you reveal yourself to us in a fresh new way that we would respond and give you our lives, Jesus. So we commit this next few moments, God, to you. Have your way. Increase our understanding. And may you be glorified with the way we respond to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse one. This is what it says. Now after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. We'll stop there. So this is the very first miracle of Easter. It's the resurrection, the miracle of resurrection. You see the women, they're going to a graveyard. They're going, as you heard Jen say, they're going to seek the dead. 
right? And the angel says, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why are you looking for Jesus? He's not dead. He is risen. And I love that verse 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 6 says, he is not here. He is risen. Come and see. That's the word of the Lord to the women on Easter morning. The very first Easter morning, right, 2,000 years ago, that was the word of the Lord. He is not here. He is risen. Come and see. I feel like it's the same word to us this morning. Jesus, he's not dead. He is alive. He's risen. Come and see. Come and see. It's the invitation. I love that there's an invitation for the resurrection of Jesus. He could have just risen on his own. He could have left the tomb sealed. But I love that the angel came and rolled back the stone. Why did the angel roll back the stone? Was that so Jesus could get out? No, Jesus didn't need any help. Jesus did not need any help to defeat sin, death, and the grave. As we talked about, he is the miracle-working God. He is the son of the living God. Nothing is too difficult for him. And so he didn't need some angel to open the, the, and roll the stone away. That was for your sake. That was for my sake. That was for the women's sake. To come and see, come and look, see, verify with your own eyes, Jesus is not dead, he is alive. And the invitation is there to you again this morning. Would you come and see? Come and see that Jesus is alive, that he's got resurrection life. I love what Jesus said to Mary just a few chapters earlier. He went to Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus had died. And Jesus came, and he says the shortest verse right in the Bible, Jesus wept. He felt their pain. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knew what it was to be fully human and understand all of our pain and all of our suffering. He wanted to go through that. So he didn't come onto earth just to die for our sins. That was his ultimate purpose. But he came also to live an example for us, to show that you can live a life full of sorrow and pain and suffering and difficulty and yet rise above it and have victory and have joy in the midst of all of these things. And so Jesus, as he's there talking to Mary Martha, he says those famous words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I love those words. Jesus declared it just a few days before he performed it. And I feel like, in a sense, I'm declaring to some of you this morning, maybe you've heard it before, that Jesus is alive. But I'm declaring to you like Jesus did prophetically. He is the resurrection and the life. And you can come and see. You can come and taste and have resurrection life of your own. The miracle of Jesus is not just that he rose from the dead, is that he wants to rise you from the dead. There's things that are dead that need to be made alive in your life. As we're talking about Mary and Jesus talking to Mary, you see that he, on Easter Sunday, has an angel talk to Mary. I just quoted Jesus talking to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' sister. But I'm thinking again of another Mary and an angel talking to another Mary in the beginning of the Gospels. In the very beginning of Jesus' life, the beginning of the, the New Testament, you have an angel appear before a Mary, and he tells this Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. These famous words that God is a God of miracles, that nothing is too difficult for him. I grew up in this church singing that song, nothing is too difficult for thee, nothing is too difficult for thee, great and mighty God. Anyone know that song? Yes, yes. Um, great and mighty in power is he. Anyways, you're stuck with a pastor that my mind always thinks of songs and movie uh, Song lyrics and movie quotes. Um, that's just the way my brain works. And so I'm thinking about Mary. She's hearing these words. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible with God. In a sense, God was saying, I can perform a miracle in your life. Not just to do my end work, but in your life. What are the desires of your heart? What are the things that need to happen in your life that would take a miracle? Well, there is a God of miracles. And he is for you, not against you. Mary hears the word of the Lord and she responds, how can this be? It's impossible. How can I give birth? I'm a virgin. My womb is empty. And I love what happens at the very beginning of the Gospels. You have an empty womb being filled. It's a miracle, right? Never happened before, never happened again. It was a miracle. A virgin became pregnant. That takes a miracle. An empty womb was filled. And then you have on Easter morning, Another angel talking to another Mary, saying a filled tomb has been emptied. I love that. These bookends. I love reading scripture, seeing the first and the last, the beginnings and the ends. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And you see Jesus doing this. He is this miracle-working God. And so he fills this woman who's void and empty, and he fills her life. 
I believe God wants to do the same thing today, this Resurrection Sunday, in some of our lives, where we're empty, where there's things that are missing. The peace of God is not ruling and reigning in our lives, and there's things that are missing in our life. God is saying, I can do the impossible. I can fill your life with good things. You can lack no good thing. That's another scripture. God wants to do this miracle where you are lacking things that you need. And God is saying, I'm a God of miracles. He's telling you this Easter morning, I can fill your emptiness. And at the same time, he's saying, your life, where there's dead things, where there's pain, where there's sorrow, where there's bitterness, where there's anger, where there's unforgiveness, God is saying, I can remove the dead things in your life. I can empty your tomb. Those dry bones, they can live. I love this. I love the story that God is a God of miracles. He's the God of resurrection. In the kingdom of God, things seem to be upside down or backwards sometimes. Jesus had to die so that you could live. But there's also this truth is Jesus said, you know what? You've got to follow me. If you want to be my followers, you want to be my disciples, then you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. There's this idea that if you want to live, you've got to die. It's this principle that if you want everlasting life, you want the fullness of all that God has for you, then you've got to die to yourself. It's scripture. It's all throughout scripture. Jesus keeps talking about this. But there's this verse I love in in the gospel of John. Jesus gives this analogy. He says this in John chapter 12. I think I have a verse for it. John 12, 24 says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Let me make this clear, he says. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat all because one grain died. It's this kingdom principle. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that you might have it to its fullest. But he says, you've got to trade something. I won't give it to you for free. I've I've done all the work. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. But you've got to give me something. You've got to give me your life. You've got to die to yourself and I'll give you my life. Right? I love the exchange here. Jesus is saying, give me your sin, your pain, your sorrow, all of your junk. Give me all of your junk and I'll replace it with all of my treasure, with all of my joy, with all of my life. Lose your life and I'll give you life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In order for something to be resurrected, it's got to die first. That's just a part of it. So you see this miracle. Jesus is saying the first miracle of Easter is resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection, but he wants to be your resurrection. He wants to resurrect you. I feel like this might be almost blasphemous, but in a sense, Jesus does this often. Scripture declares that Jesus is the light of the world. Do we all agree Jesus is the light of the world? That the light pierced the darkness, right? Jesus, he created the light, right? Jesus is the light. But then he does something in Scripture. He he talks to his disciples and says, you're the light of the world. Like I said, this might be blasphemous. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But can I say this morning that I feel like Jesus is saying, you're the resurrection. You're the reason I came was to resurrect you. I didn't come just to resurrect my own body. I came to resurrect you. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the Easter miracle that Jesus did something for himself, but really it was for you. I love this verse. There's a verse in Revelation. It says this, um, oh, let me find it. Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Meaning the story or the life of Jesus or what Jesus accomplished on earth is this spirit of prophecy, meaning he's declaring things to come. So what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the very first Easter morning, he's saying to you today, prophetically, I want to resurrect you. This is Resurrection Sunday to bring resurrection life to you. Jesus declares it all throughout Scripture. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of his favor. Not 2,000 years ago, today. 
So yes, 2,000 years ago was Easter morning. We celebrate that this morning. But Jesus, I feel like, is saying, don't just celebrate what I accomplished 2,000 years ago. Begin to celebrate what I'm doing today. I'm bringing resurrection life to you personally. I know, I I love John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a staple to the Christian faith. But it's so important on this Resurrection Sunday that we hear that it's not that God so loved the world in general, that God loves you, that it becomes personal. Let me finish the rest of that verse from John chapter 12. In verse 24 we read, in the next couple of verses it says this. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me, will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me, and you will go where I am going. I love that. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to follow me. Follow my example. Jesus, man, he was in the world. He came and dwelt among us. He took on flesh, and he lived here. And it says that life was not perfect. Read, I just said it. Jesus, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knows that life is not always going to be easy. Jesus does not promise resurrection life or just means that everything's going to go easy for you from now on. That's not the gospel, the good news. That everything is just going to be comfortable and easy for you. That's not what he's promising. No, he's promising life. He's promising that if you follow me, follow my example, I died and then I resurrected. And I'm now seated at the right hand of the Father. There's this idea, you want to be fully alive, you've got to die. You've got to follow his example. I just feel like this morning, God is saying often that he wants to trade things. I'm talking about this miracle. I have these three miracles, but I'll say, I feel like this is not one of my three points, but the miracle of Easter is in the swap. It's in the trade. As I said, you're trading your sins for his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a swap that Jesus wants to do this morning. He wants to trade your dead works for his living life. Man, as I'm just thinking about this swap, I'm thinking about all kinds of people. Uh, as we were praying this morning over worship, after we practiced worship, even Pastor Nick was saying, he was talking again about the story of the little boy who brought his lunch. He gave up his lunch. He gave it to Jesus. All right, here's my lunch that I packed to feed myself, and nobody else brought a lunch. I brought lunch. Too bad for everybody else, right? But this little boy said, all right, I'll give up my lunch. I'll give it over to Jesus. And then what did Jesus do? Oh, my goodness. He multiplied it. That's what you see about this seed. We just read those verses in John. He says, man, if one seed just chooses to die in the ground, it will produce this great harvest. Jesus is saying, you are clinging to things in your life that you think are worth clinging to. And Jesus is saying, man, if you just would let go, if you would give me the trade, if you would trade what you think is so valuable and give it to me, oh my goodness, I will multiply. I mean, just go through the story, every story in the Bible. Abraham, his only begotten son, Isaac. I mean, that was a promise from God. It was God's gift to Abraham, his only son, Isaac. And God says, yeah, give it to me. Sacrifice your son. What? But as Abraham traded his son, God performed a miracle, right? Saved his son. And then said, all right, now you're going to be a father of many nations. You're not going to be father of one son. I'm going to increase because you gave over to me what was precious to you. But you said that I am more precious than this. Oh, then I'm going to reward you with an abundance. I feel like this is what God is saying this morning. There's, there's a miracle in the swap, If you're willing to trade your sorrows, your pain, if you're willing to trade your sin, God's saying, "Ah, I'll give you my righteousness. So that's the first miracle. You see it in the first few verses. Let's read the next few verses. We'll find out the second miracle. So now in verse 7, we stopped at verse 6. Matthew chapter 28, verse 7 says this. And go and quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. 
And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they, became, so they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. We'll stop there. So the first miracle was resurrection. The second miracle is joyous living. I don't know if you caught it in there. The second one is, is, is in verses 6 through 10, or 7 through 10. Joyous living. The women, they heard the good news of salvation. They went to the tomb. They heard the gospel. An angel, it wasn't just another human being. It wasn't a pastor telling them. It was an angel. A supernatural event took place. Rolled away the stone, this big earthquake. The, these big, burly Roman soldiers are trembling in fear and falling down, fainting, right? Acting like dead men because they're afraid of the angel. This supernatural event happens. They believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now they're being commissioned by the angel. Go and tell. Go tell us. Go back home and tell the disciples. And as, as I was reading this story, I was thinking about this. This is the second miracle. The disciples, these women, they heard the good news. They received the salvation. And on their way to go home, they encountered Jesus. So I think some of us in this room, you've heard the Easter story before. You raised your hand. Yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe I'm saved because he, you know, he died for my sins. You believe all these things. But in this story, you're seeing the second miracle. It happened in the middle. Joyous living during the journey. They're on their way home. Some of you, you know you're saved. You know you're going to live with eternity with Jesus. Good. You've heard me say this several times as the pastor of this church. My goal is not just to give you a ticket to heaven. If that's all you want, you're at the wrong church. I, I'm not bent to be an evangelist. I, I will bring the good news. I do want people to get saved. I've brought people to Jesus before. But what is... What I feel called to do is not just save people, but to help people in the middle. Some of you, you're saved, and you know you're the end result, you're going to go home to be with Jesus. Great, but the miracle Jesus is saying on Easter is there is joy in the journey. In the middle, you can encounter Jesus. I'm telling you, it's not enough to have a one-time encounter with Jesus. I'm saying I'm not satisfied in my own life with my own one-time encounter with Jesus. I want more of Jesus. I want more of him. And I love what happens on Easter. Jesus is so good that he meets them in the middle of their journey. Can I tell you, they were confused. They, were, they showed up to the tomb weeping and mourning like they had never wept before in their life. The most pain and agony they'd ever felt before their entire life. They were confused. Jesus kept saying he was the Messiah and now he's dead. How is he supposed to be the Messiah? Talk about difficulty. Wrestling with all these things and then the good news of salvation comes and they're wrestling with it. They believe it and yet they're still wrestling with difficulty. And Jesus meets them in the middle. In the middle of their wrestle, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of saying, okay, I'm going to obey, but it's difficult. I don't understand how I'm going to go tell these disciples. They're not going to believe me. And as you read further in the story, they didn't believe him. And I just feel like this morning, Jesus is wanting to tell some of you, he's a miracle-working God, not just to save you, but to fill you, to fill your life with joy. Make it a little more real and practical. Many of you, this is your first time in the sanctuary. First time in church in a year. 90% of us were not in this sanctuary last year for Easter. This last year has been a year of difficulty. It's been a year of things that have not gone the way we wanted them to go. And I would love for you just with complete sincerity, honesty, Look at your own life and evaluate it. Would you, you don't have to, this is rhetorical, don't physically raise your hand. Would you raise your hand in this room? Would you be bold enough to say, you know what? My journey is full of joy. This last year, it's marked with joy, with exceeding abundant joy. That is how this whole last year has gone. Everything that's come out of my mouth has been marked with joy. I don't know. I'm just being honest and real with you. I don't know if anyone would have the guts to raise your hand and say that. Because the reality is, not all of us are living fully alive. Not all of us are having encounters with Jesus on a daily basis. 
And this isn't to condemn you. This is to encourage you that there is a miracle on this Easter morning that you don't have to deserve it. Jesus is that good. He'll meet you in the middle. If you're just willing to struggle and wrestle with things. I mean, I love that the the name of God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, means wrestle with God. Not the perfect ones, the ones who wrestled with him. The ones who tried to figure it out. The ones who were in this crazy cycle of worshiping him and loving him and then turning their affections to worldly things. And God's saying, what's wrong with you? And he would remove his blessing from them. And they'd say, oh, they'd cry out for mercy and grace. God would save them. What if, just throwing this out there, what if this last year, it was God's mercy to us as a church to actually want his presence? See, I I love this story. It says that Jesus' presence was made known to them. They knew Jesus. And then they actually believed that he was alive But they didn't see him. They didn't have a relationship with him. And so Jesus says, all right, I'll make my presence known to you. And when that happened, that's what changed their whole life. It wasn't just the word of the angel. It was the encounter with Jesus. And I love all the stories of Easter, but I love Matthew because it's the first one in the Gospels. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first one. So it gets the first recording in the Bible of Jesus' first words. The first red letters of the resurrected Christ are recorded in Matthew. And I love what he says in verse 9. The first words of Jesus to his disciples. Rejoice. Rejoice. I feel like it's half command and half an invitation. He's saying in the midst of your struggle, would you rejoice like Paul tells us all throughout Philippians, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's something you hear this pastor preach on a recurring basis, right? Let's see if you can finish the rest of the phrase. If it isn't good yet, God's not good. Oh, good. That's the culture I want, not just in this church, but I want to permeate in your thinking, in your psyche, in your emotions, in the way you approach life. When you go through the struggle, when you go through difficulty, I want you to have this mindset. Yeah, but there's joy in the middle. God can perform a miracle in this middle. And I can have joyous living in the middle of the journey. Huh. Like I said, it's it's a command because sometimes we have to put it on. We don't feel like it. And so it's, it's us putting on that garment of praise and choosing to worship when we don't feel like it. Sometimes it's that. But I'll tell you, we often quote it from Psalm. Oh, man, I always, I'm bad with references. Somewhere in Psalm, the beginning, somewhere in there. 16, Psalm 1611. says, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. So when you're lacking joy, maybe you haven't had an encounter with Jesus. It's been a while. And Jesus is saying this morning, the miracle is that he wants to bring joy into your life. He wants you to live fully alive. We read this, um, it's all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I can sing that song. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In fact, I was singing that this week during my devotional time. And I loved it because I was home alone. So I shouldn't be, I mean, I'm a pastor and I got pastor's kids. I should not be afraid to do this for my family. But sometimes I still get embarrassed to do things. And so I love when I have just my alone time with God. And I began to sing that song. He fills my mouth mouth with laughter. Ha, 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 ha. And I was like, oh, no, I felt it. God's going to make me laugh. All right. And I had to to start laughing out loud. But there's something about the joy of the Lord. It gives us strength. If you are weary in the middle, if you find yourself that, man, life is just hard and difficult and you don't have the strength, you're just saying, this is a curse word in my family. I'm done. If that's a phrase that comes out of your mouth, I'm done. I'm done with this whole mass thing. I'm done with this. I'm done with our government. I'm done with... I'm letting you know you might have missed the joy of the Lord somewhere. I'm telling you deep down inside, I I will be excited and be the first one to burn my mask. I am so excited to get rid of those things that the day is coming, right? I'm with you all on that. I'll share this too. I I think I actually have the verse, but it was in in my devotional time this last week. I was thinking of another song. Like I told you, my brain just thinks of songs. I think I have it in here. Maybe it's in the wrong point. I don't know. Maybe I skipped it. I don't even know where it's at. It's in here somewhere. I'll find it. Give me one second. 
There it is. Isaiah 51.11. It says this. It's a song. Actually, I'll just sing it to you, right? Can I sing? We're singing this all morning. Raise your hand as soon as you know it. And if you don't know it, that's okay. It might only be the five other people. But again, there's another song I grew up singing in this church. It's an old one. But it goes like this. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And come, sing, come, right? With everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. That's the part I wanted to get to. Um, So everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. I was singing that this week. What does that even mean? Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And I was thinking, oh, that means when we get to heaven one day, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be, right? No, he's saying even now. We can have everlasting joy on our heads. In the middle of the journey, you can have joy. And I just was thinking about that. Ah, and then I had to go look it up. Like I said, Isaiah. And then I start, this is me. Then I get sidetracked. Like I go on rabbit trails. I'm like, but it's fun. I love doing this with God. And I start reading commentary. And this one comment, commentary said this about this verse. It says, there's joy at redemption and being saved and the pardon of sin. And there's joy in the view of hope of eternal life. But this joy that he's talking about is three things. Constant increasing and everlasting. We sing the song, everlasting joy, which means when we get to heaven, okay, then there'll be fullness of joy. One day, I'll have fullness of joy. But no, it's actually constant. You can have constant joy. This is the miracle of Easter. This is the second point. You are able to live a life with constant joy. That might seem impossible. It would take a miracle. Praise God, we serve a God of miracles who does the impossible. Your life every single day can be filled with joy. You can be crowned with everlasting joy, constant joy. Again, I've preached this a zillion times, but I just love Paul because he preaches it so well, right? He says these foreign, weird things. Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. What? You're crazy, Paul. Every difficulty that comes where we've said, no, I complain, I don't like this, I'm done. Paul is saying, actually, you can say, you can consider pure joy. I've shared this probably a couple times already, but i got to share it again. I love Oswald Chambers, uh, my eldest horse highest. And I don't know which day it is. It's somewhere in there because I highlight it almost every day because there's good stuff in all of these. And some, actually not every day. Some days I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm reading the, new, like, the King James Version. I'm like, he's too heady and smart and lofty for me. And I'm like, I missed it. Sorry, Oswald. Um, just being real with you. But there's, there's one analogy he gives where he talks about that verse. Consider it pure joy. He says, you know what? He, he likens it to like going to the beach and seeing 20-foot waves. For the average beachgoer, a 20-foot wave brings fear. If I'm, I'm planning on going to the beach tomorrow. During spring break, we're going to the beach as a family. If I saw 20-foot waves, you better believe I'd be grabbing my kids and say, get out of the water. 20-foot waves, get out of there. That's dangerous. But for the professional surfer, oh, pure joy. Pure 20-foot waves. Awesome, dude. Right? Like, pure joy. That's how you and I as Christians should be, right? When we see difficult, we see a pandemic, awesome, dude. Pure joy. We should look foreign and weird to the rest of the world. And I'm saying that God is saying you can do that. I mean, there's even scripture that says that Jesus, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. What in the world? Joy? How could you be talking about joy in the middle of torture? Jesus, it would take a miracle. There's things in your life that you would say, how could I ever be joy-filled in the middle of this? And Jesus is saying this morning, I want to do a miracle in your life. I want to bring joy into your daily life. Hmm. One last thought on this miracle of joyous living. I forget, I don't think I put this in my PowerPoint, but this verse in Proverbs 23, it says this, Proverbs 23, 15. My heart will rejoice, indeed I myself. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when you speak what is right. What the heck does that have to do with anything, Pastor? I feel like the Lord is saying, he experiences joy over you. 
This is what this verse is saying. God's inmost being is able to rejoice when you do what is right. I was thinking about that. How can the joy of the Lord be my strength? See, it's not me. It's not my joy that gives me my strength. It's the joy of the Lord that gives me strength. And this verse just says, the joy of the Lord, how is his joy made complete? When I do what is right. When I obey him, when right things come out of my mouth, he's filled with joy. And as he is filled with joy, it gives me strength. If I'm weary and I don't have the strength to get through the day, the antidote is in this verse. Do what is right. Let the right things come out of your mouth. And it says your Father in heaven is going to be filled with joy in his inmost being. And as you, as he begins to speak to you, you have a relationship with him, and he begins to say, oh, you are my joy. You are the apple of my eye. I love being with you. You bring me so much joy. As you hear him say those things, it gives you supernatural strength. This is what I long for more than anything else. I know I long for all of us to be saved, to go to heaven. But I want us to have joy in the journey. Hmm. Sorry, I'm getting emotional just because I, I feel like there's people in this room, maybe listening online, that this is the truth of what God is saying. I mean, there's so many things I'm saying, but this morning, this is really what he's saying to you. He's tailored this message to you. That if you are really honest, your life is not filled with joy. It's filled with some good things every once in a while. And God is saying he can actually do a miracle. This is what I wish. Sometimes Paul says, oh, I wish I could give my salvation to these people that I love so much. I don't know if I'm there, but I wish I could give you the joy of the Lord that becomes my strength. I wish I could give that to you. You've heard me say it a billion times, right? I'm God's favorite. Where does that come from? Because I'm arrogant and you're not his favorite? No. It comes from when I'm in his presence and he begins to tell me, Ryan, you did that right thing. Ryan, you're praising me right now. You're worshiping me. Praise is ever on your lips. Oh, you are filling my heart and inmost being with joy. And as I hear him say that, oh, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You're my favorite, Ryan. Do I, can I tell you the strength that comes from that? There are days and moments that go by when I am overcome with responsibility and things that are on my plate that I can't get done. Being a pastor sometimes, there's sheep that aren't happy with me. And I'm having to carry loads and I get weary. And God is saying, yeah, but just spend time with me, Ryan. Just do what's right. And as you hear me love on you, oh, this strength floods inside of me. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. And that's what I'm saying. I want the miracle of joyous living to be imparted into you today. That you would not struggle through life. That it would be a joy when you wake up in the morning. Oh, I love being alive. Huh. And if it couldn't get any better, we've got to finish the Easter story. So we're going to skip a couple of verses we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28, now in verse 18. We're going to find the third miracle of Easter. Verse 16, was that what it said? Ah, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the, Fa name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right. The third miracle of Easter. The miracle of authority. The miracle of authority. Jesus didn't come just to save you, but he came to fill you with joy, to fill your life. And now, the third miracle, he came to appoint you, to commission you, to give you authority. Not just to get through life, but to be an overcomer, to be more than conquerors. All right, I can't help but do it. This is running through my brain. I'm going to go back to the second part just a little bit, but I'm going to give you a little story. There was this 
pastor, I don't know if it was like 100 years ago or so, but this old pastor that was traveling around, and uh, he began to have this more and more of this traveling ministry. And so um, he began to drive around and visit these other churches, and sometimes he'd be gone for days, and it'd take him to get back. And so people in the church said, Pastor, you know, you're starting to travel more. Why don't you begin to fly? Just like take an airplane. Like you'd get there so much faster, and you get back, you wouldn't be gone so long. And he said, no, no, no. This pastor will never fly. Because as it says in Matthew chapter 28, the very last words of Jesus, lo, I am with you always. Um, But I love that. I love that Jesus, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, right? There's this truth no matter where you go. You can go to the valley of shadow of death. He will not leave you. His rod and his sapphire, he'll comfort you. He'll be with you even in those places. So that's good news. But I love that to me this is kind of crescendoing. As I said, that the joy, it's constant. It should be increasing and everlasting. This idea of increasing. The joy that you have today, there should be a greater level tomorrow. Hallelujah. Your, the joy of your salvation. I love what, what uh, King David wrote in Psalm 51, right? As he's repenting of his sin, he's saying, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I'm praying that today is a day of salvation. That some of us, the joy of salvation returns to our life. But I'm praying that it's not just the joy of salvation, that it increases. That the increase of his government, there is no end. And it ties into this third miracle. Jesus not only wants to save you and there's joy in that salvation, he wants to give you abundant and living water to come out of you, right? He wants to fill you with life. But not only fill you, now he's commissioning you, calling you, equipping you, appointing you, knighting you, uh, badging you, whatever word you want to say, to go and do likewise. Jesus says that all the things you saw me do, all the miracles you saw me do, you can go do as well. As I said, it was kind of blasphemous. I said that Jesus is the resurrection life, and now he's saying, no, actually, no, you're the resurrection life. I feel like saying the same thing in this one. Jesus He's a miracle-working God. He's the God of miracles. He's a wonder-working God. But here in this verse, these verses we just read, Jesus is saying, no, all authority has been given to me, and now I give it over to you. You are miracle workers. Signs and wonders will follow you wherever you go. If you think I'm making that up, let's look at Mark. The end, this is, I just read to you the end of, of Matthew. The Great Commission. What does Mark say in the Great Commission, right? I love it. We're talking about miracles in Mark uh, chapter 16. Verses 15. Oh, man, I don't have it in front of me. Here we go. Um, We'll do 17. Mark 16, 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. I'm just telling you, God wants to do such a miracle in your life, not just to save you, to fill your life with joy, but then to have an influence on the world around you. That miraculous signs and wonders would follow you wherever you go. This is the miracle of Easter. That it's not just what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He's a God of miracles today and in your life. And he's written a blank check and handed it over to you. He's saying, I give you authority. You're in the kingdom. You have access to my bank account. He's given you a checkbook. He's saying, all right, it's my account. It's my glory. It's my miracle wonder-working power, but I've given you the authority to write a check and give it to somebody. You hold the keys to God's bank account. I mean, so many scriptures say this, right? We have it on on the wall over here, right? The gates of hell will not prevail. That Jesus is building his church, right? There's so many things about from Genesis, right? When he created mankind, he said, you will have dominion and authority over the earth. We know that the enemy came and robbed mankind, right? That's why Jesus, when he came and was tempted by the devil, the devil said, I can give you the keys to the kingdom right now. We don't have to go through this whole thing, Jesus. I took it away from you, humanity, I hold, he's the prince of the power of the air, right? The devil stole the authority from Adam. And Jesus came to take it back. And then he says, all right, I'm giving you the keys. Whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you want to loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
There's this authority that it seems uncomfortable. I'm going to be real with you. I'm often uncomfortable with the amount of authority God has given me. But I'm praying that today I have fresh eyes, fresh ears, and a soft heart to receive the miracle of Jesus. That I am not in my own qualified, but he isn't called the qualified. He qualifies the called. Right? He doesn't call the ones that are equipped. No, he equips those who are called. You are called. You are chosen. He wants you. He picked you. You're saved. You belong to him. So now with that, you don't get to say, well, I don't want any authority. He says, no, all authority has been given to me. I give it to you. Go and do likewise. We just read Mark uh, 16, verse 17. We talked about the miracles. Would it follow us? I love it. The very last verse of, of Mark, verse 20, says this. The disciples received the authority, and they went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. This is not me trying to preach some other gospel to you. These are the words of Jesus in red letters on Easter. He's saying many miraculous signs followed those that followed him. Everywhere they went, miraculous signs followed them. Jesus did the miracles, but they opened their mouths. They went and did I'm telling you, God wants to do a miracle in your life that you become a wonder-working miracle. That everywhere you go, you bring the presence of miracles with you. Hmm. All right, I'm just going to even wrap it up a little bit now. Daniel, the whole worst he doesn't have to come up quite yet, but if Daniel, you want to come up. We always end the service one last song, but before we get there, I got a few minutes. I know you guys are ready for some lunch. You guys are ready for some, you guys all have Easter plans. I see a lot of family together. I'm looking forward to that. But I want in the next seven minutes for the Holy Spirit to seal okay. the word. Siri, I'm not talking to you. Sorry. <laughs> see how there's distractions? We have things on our mind, like pastor, wrap it up. Service is almost over with. Things going on. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit seals the word of the Lord to us before we leave here. Would you engage with me just for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? There's this miracle. I talked about the first miracle of resurrection. That God wants to trade your sin for his righteousness. There's the second miracle of joyous living. That God wants to take your weariness your loneliness, your isolation. This whole last season of your life where you are weary. God is saying today, I want to give you rivers of living water. Where he told the woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. Because I can cause a well to spring up with you. That every single day of your life, you are never thirsty. You are satisfied. Some of you need the satisfaction of joy in your life. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is telling you this morning, it's time to be a disciple. Not just to be saved, not just to receive the goodness of God, but to be commissioned to leave here this Easter morning like the women, running to go back home to tell their family the good news. There needs to be a boldness. You are willing this morning to say, Holy Spirit, I need a miracle of boldness where I've been fearful, timid, thoughts that I'm not good enough, thoughts of who I think I am. I need to trade them with the thoughts of who you say I am. Hmm. So Holy Spirit, we give you our lives. What are you saying to us? I'm going to ask you, if you need one of those miracles in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. Not quite yet. But if you need one of those miracles in your life, if you need the boldness and the authority of Jesus Christ to do a miracle in your life, that you want to leave here with that miracle, that you are going to be a gospel preacher, that you're going to have a fresh fire inside of you when you leave here. In a second, I want you to stand. But I also want you to stand with the people in the second one. 
If you like the Holy Spirit is saying, he's pinpointing this morning, you're, you're missing the joy of the Lord. And you're saying, I want it, but I'm gonna have you stand at the same time. And even if you are here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, you need to trade your sin for his righteousness, I'm gonna have you stand with everybody else. So count of three, if you want one of those miracles, would you stand? One, two, three, stand. I'm gonna pray one of the shortest prayers this pastor's ever prayed. If you want to receive Jesus as your savior today, just repeat this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. That's it. It's that simple. If you said that prayer, I'm gonna encourage you, don't leave here without letting me or a pastor know. I just, I wanna pray with you. I wanna give you a gift. Some of you are standing for the second one. I'm gonna ask you to go and increase the boldness. If that's you, you need the joy of the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to put your hands out in front of you. And we're gonna pray a prayer. Jesus, we trade our sorrows for the joy of the Lord. We trade our sickness, our selfishness for the joy of the Lord. We ask that you would do a miracle in our lives, that we would encounter you, Jesus, that your presence would be made real, that I would worship you because your presence is so real in my life. Open my eyes to see you in a new way today. In Jesus' mighty name. And the third ones, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands all the way up if you want the power and the authority. Jesus, we raise our hands in sense of submission as when a police officer says, put your hands up. God, we put our hands up. We, we yield and submit under the mighty hand of God. We are fearful under your hand, but at the same time, we recognize that we are accepted in the beloved. That right now, God, we receive the word of truth that we can boldly enter your throne of grace. Not with chins held down, but with our heads lifted high with our eyes looking up to the mountain because you are our help. Our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth, that nothing is too difficult for you. So that means there is nothing too difficult for me. I received that word this morning, God. Nothing is too difficult for me. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The enemy is under my feet. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church, against my family, against my nation. Everywhere I go, the enemy is under my feet. Jesus, yours is the victory. And so therefore, I am victorious. I receive your authority. I will be a wonder-working man or woman of God. Miracles will follow me. I will pray for the the supernatural. I'm going to be bold and go for it. I'm going to pray for demons to be cast out, to speak in new languages, to see the dead risen to life. Jesus, I am unashamed of the gospel. I'm unafraid. Today I receive your miracle in Jesus' mighty name.